1: let me tell you, my God is an awesome God. My God is the ancient of days. My God isn't bound by the logic of man. My God stands over the rules of science, and he is by nature a God of the supernatural and the miraculous. And beloved, if your God isn't that kind of a God, you don't have much of a God. If your God depends upon millions or billions of years in order to get done what He says when He says, let there be, then I think that you've got a problem with who your God is.
0: Today's message continues the story of creation. This is the foundation of not only the Bible, but the world you know and live in right now. Some things you'll read may not make sense and may cause you to question if God really did all He said. Pastor David will challenge you though to embrace the fact that the almighty creator of the universe is just too incredible for you to understand this side of heaven. The bigger you allow God to be, the bigger problems you'll allow him to tackle in your life. Now here's Pastor David in Genesis chapter 1 with his continuing study through the book of Genesis.
1: don't get the foundation correct, you're going to have a poor, poor building. And beloved, that's why it's so important. And that's why the attack on the book of Genesis is so, so strong. Because if you do away with it, you will have problems. If you destroy the beginning, you remove the foundation of the balance of the scripture. If you destroy the foundation of your faith, let me ask you, where is your faith going to lead? if you don't have a strong faith. Some believe in what's called a gap theory that says that between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and verse 2, that there was an undetermined amount of time. This is actually a theory that that was put together by a Presbyterian minister a hundred years or so ago in response to This science, quote unquote, that was coming up, dealing with this whole idea of evolution. And he said, well, I know what we can do if we put in this wide span of time between verse one and verse two, then we can all just kind of get along. We can still have evolution, and we can still have the Bible story. We'll just put in the middle there that, again, all this time of evolution, all this corruption came. As a matter of fact, the gap theory states that God created the heavens and the earth in the first verse, but it became corrupt, sometimes in the midst of millions of years because of Satan's rebellion, That resulted in what is called Lucifer's Flood. That resulted in producing the fossil record. And the earth was then plunged into darkness. And we come to verse two, where the earth was without form, void, and darkness was on the face of the earth. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time finding the chapter and verse that hits all of what they're trying to say there. Somebody has just pulled out or actually put in, plunged in, divided up the word, plunged in something that's not there at all. It's a strange hypothesis, but again, gang, sin didn't come into the earth because of Satan's rebellion. Sin came into the earth because of Adam, and we'll look at that as we go through. I'm just going to tell you, my personal belief, and you're, you're free to agree with me or disagree with me, It's really and truly not a salvation issue, but I do believe that it holds to a firm understanding of God's word from beginning to end. My personal belief for grammatical reasons, for doctrinal reasons, for theological reasons, is is that when God formed the universe, the earth and all that's in it, that he actually did it in six 24-hour days. Now I understand, that sounds archaic. That sounds ancient. That sounds without any kind of scientific logic, but let me tell you, my God is an awesome God. My God is the ancient of days. My God isn't bound by the logic of man. My God stands over the rules of science, and he is by nature a God of the supernatural and the miraculous. And beloved, if your God isn't that kind of a God, you don't have much of a God. If your God depends upon millions or billions of years in order to get done what he says when he says, let there be, then I think that you've got a problem with who your God is. I fully understand. Again, I'm using kind of a circular reason to cover up my argument. But the fact is, I do believe that God overrules all things, the things of science, even the things of logic. And so here's the issue that we face. If your God can't create the universe and all that's in it in six days, six 24-hour days, even causing the light, and I know this is one of the arguments, no, it takes like so many millions of light years for that light to get here to earth. Why? Could God speak and suddenly light is there? My God can. He can speak it into existence. Again, immediately. If God can't do that, then you know what? Let me ask you. Is your God big enough to cause a worldwide flood? He's not big enough to create it. Maybe he's not big enough to cause a worldwide flood, destroying all of mankind and all of the animals except for those that were found in the ark that we find in Genesis chapter 6 seven, and eight. Tell me, can your God cause the tongues of all men to be so confused that as they're building this high tower to reach into the heavens that suddenly they can't get any work done and they're scattered all over the known earth? Maybe your God's not big enough to do that because he's not big enough to speak into existence all that we know. How big is your God? Let me ask you, can your God actually cause fire and brimstone to fall out of heaven and destroy two cities that are so wicked and vile? Is your God big enough to be able to do that? If your God can't create the heavens and the earth and all that we know in six 24-hour days, can your God truly cause a man who is a 100 years old and his wife who is 90 to have a child? Maybe your God's not big enough for that. If you say your God is omnipotent, if you say that your God, and omnipotent means all-powerful, if you say that your God is all-powerful, and yet he's not able to form everything out of nothing at the mere word of his mouth, and God said, what kind of a God do you have? Is he a kind of God that can cause a death angel to pass over an entire nation, and in one night, kill the firstborn of every family and of every livestock, and yet entirely miss an entire nation within that nation because they performed a ritualistic ceremony that was called for them to do. Maybe your God's not big enough to do that. If your God cannot speak the world into existence in that six-day period, can your God then Divide the Red Sea overnight, allowing a million plus people to be able to walk across on dry land, then close up the sea back in the morning and drown the invading army of the Egyptians. Maybe your God's not big enough to do that. And so suddenly you see when you remove the whole idea of creation and how God created, you have a very weak, impotent God who's not able to do what the word of God declares that he can do is your god limited in scope is your god limited in the abilities can your god cause a virgin to conceive can your god heal the sick can he bring sight to the blind can he make the lame to truly walk or are all those myths and and fables It comes to a good story, and the Bible is only good for moral direction, again, to cause us to say and to live and and go the right way, but there's nothing miraculous. There's nothing supernatural. Can your limited God, who's not able to speak the universe into a perfect existence in just a moment of time, can that limited God send you a Savior who's existed from eternity past, who was born of that virgin, who lived a sinless life, and who died as a sacrifice for all mankind. A limited God wouldn't be able to do that. I'll tell you this, the very important thing about not having a limited God, because a limited God would not be able to raise the dead again. He would not be able to raise the one who died for the sin of the world on that third day. Your God actually would not be able to eternally save your sinful soul. Why? Because it just doesn't make logical sense that he could just speak and it would come into existence that fast. It doesn't make sense that he could just say the word and suddenly everything's mature and everything's there and everything's direct and all the stars and all the planets and mankind. That just doesn't make sense. Beloved, if your God makes sense to you, guess what? You've got a mighty small God. You've got a mighty small God because my God doesn't make sense to me a lot of times because I'm limited in my understanding because I don't know tomorrow. He does. he he dwells in tomorrow just as he does dwell in today and so he knows all things he understands all things i don't know how big is your god if your god is limited in one area let me ask you where does it end and where does it pick back up again well god can't or wouldn't do that then what can't he do or wouldn't do otherwise And then where do you come in and say, yes, I can trust God for this? You can't trust that kind of a God. If he's not powerful enough to do all that his word says that he did do, then, beloved, I can't trust him for anything. I can't really fully place my trust in him. But if he's able to do that, if he's able to speak into existence everything that we see, everything that we know, everything that is all around us. And beloved, I can trust that God. When issues come against my life that I don't understand, because I know I serve a great, great God, a mighty and a powerful God. Beloved, if your God's limited, the Bible can't be trusted as a whole. If your God is limited, then where do you go at that point in time? What do you believe at that point in time? The whole situation of seeing and understanding that, again, this is right, this is true. No, that's not right, that's not true. Who makes those arbitrary decisions? Is it someone else? Do the judgments change from time? Oh, they just got a new scientific discovery, so now I cannot believe what I believed all of my life. I can't believe what has been true from times past because now we're smarter than we were. You see, it's man's wisdom that many times puts him completely out of the faith realm because we've grown too intelligent, I believe, for our own good. And that's why I believe that we need to understand, let God be true and every man a liar. Because really and truly, that's where the foundation of our life is. Okay, that's chapter one. Let's move on to chapter two. And I don't know, how in the world is he ever going to get through this thing? Man, he's taking a half an hour to get through one chapter. In chapter two, we see the initiation of the Sabbath day. God worked for those six days, spoke things into being, created all things, created man, created all that was there in six days. On the seventh day, he rested, and he is the one who initiated the Sabbath day. Do you think it's because God was tired? I mean, that's a lot of work. Let's face it. That's a lot of work, okay? He never broke out in a sweat, okay? Because he is God, because he is the great sovereign of the universe. So why did he create the Sabbath? Jesus tells us that, doesn't he? That man wasn't created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for man. In order that we might take time in the midst of our helter-skelter lives, in the midst of our rushing to and fro and trying to make a living and trying to make ends meet and trying to do whatever we want, in order that we might take the time to stop and just pause. You know that little word in the Psalms, Selah? That means to stop. That means to whoa, consider what you just read. Selah, stop, meditate on that. For you and I, that's why we need to take time. We're not bound by a particular day, but beloved, I believe that it's for our own good that we take those times of Sabbath, that we stop of the world's Doings, and we focus in on our relationship with Almighty God. It's in chapter two we get a recap of the whole creation. Again, we get a longer description of the Garden of Eden. We find that that is the original home of man. Very specific landmarks that are given there for the location of the garden, and yet the interesting thing, they still haven't found it. Now, with all those points of rivers that they give, Why wouldn't they have found it yet? Well, the answer happens a few years later, something that's known as Noah's flood. Everything changed, everything. The entire world was destroyed and it had to grow back again. Again, God flooded the entire world, changing its landscape, changing its environment, changing its climate, and even changing the atmosphere. Here in chapter two, verse 5 and 6 we read that there was no rain on the earth but a mist went up from the earth and it watered the whole face of the earth you say well pastor how can that be how can things live that way have you ever been in the tropics this mist that's there all the time this idea of just the high humidity i know in the tropics it rains a lot that's probably not a good illustration but the idea of just the the high humidity and moisture is just In the air. Again, Christian scientists have talked about this canopy that was literally over the earth at that point in time. And within that canopy was that perfect environment for the plants to grow and for man to live. And when the catastrophic events of the flood came, that canopy burst open. Again, the water from underneath the earth also. And even our environment changed in the midst of it. Meanwhile, back at the garden, God saw that in the midst of all of these good things that he had created, he says, it's not good that man should be alone. So there in verses 18 and verses 21 and 23, God made him a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Are you kidding me? Really? God took a rib out of a man and made a woman? Are you kidding me? I think it's more interesting that he took dirt and made us guys, okay? Which is harder, I don't know. I don't think any of it's harder for God. But again, I look at these things, I say, it sounds bizarre, it sounds totally unlogical to me. But at the same time, beloved, you're not God, I'm not God. And this is the reason God took it. And again, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And isn't it interesting that when man and woman come together in marriage, they're to come together, what, church? As one flesh. You see, God designed it that way from creation. One flesh. God gave Adam just one simple rule, just one simple rule. Look there in verse 16 of chapter two. One rule. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may eat freely you got a great smorgasbord there man just take whatever you want but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in that day you eat of it you shall surely die there was only one rule but you know the problem was it was one rule too many It was one rule too many for Adam and Eve. And we find in Genesis chapter three, man disobeys God. Man breaks that one rule and his innocence is lost. And because of sin, disobedience and death now enter in and they are the infection of sin now permeates the perfection of creation. And the consequence of sin now stains forever the purity of the innocence of man. Man created in innocence, and yet because of his own sin, he stained forever. A stain of sin that no launderer soap could wash away, but only the blood of Jesus could wash away and restore back pure again. And no, we can't blame Eve. You know, how nice and easy that would be. It was it's that woman you gave me, Lord. But it doesn't work that way. Even the apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he doesn't speak anything about Eve. He says, therefore, just as through one man, and speaking of Adam in the context of what he's writing there in Romans 5, just as through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. You see, through Adam, he becomes, again, that federal head, that that inheritance of sin that's passed down through generation, through generation, through generation. And there's much to be spoken about the virgin birth and why it was Mary who gave birth, not with, again, the assistance of the part of the man. And I know we think, man, no, it's not a genetic thing, but it's very interesting that God chose that it would be through a virgin birth that the Savior would be born, that there would be no sin inherited within him. And he did no sin. He was obedient to the Father in every area. So neither was he born in sin, nor did he commit sin, but he was perfect. In all of his ways. And beloved, because sin entered into the world there in the Garden of Eden, redemption now became necessary. Sin had to be atoned for, and that redemption. Couldn't be the work of sinful man. Man couldn't buy his way out of it at all. Man needed a savior. And that sets up the stage for the battle of all eternity. Again, that's now taking place there, even there in the garden, because then the Lord declared the end of that battle to the serpent. There in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, the Lord God said to the serpent who had tempted Eve, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. You shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Much could be said about that, but let's move on. And he, he shall bruise your head, but you shall only bruise his heel. You see, God knew the sin that was committed there. Yes, Adam and Eve, totally culpable in their actions and in their responses. But yet God also knew where the source of that temptation came from. And so then he cursed, again, the curse. But in the midst of that curse was a great promise and a great blessing.
0: Surprisingly and sadly, too many followers of Jesus are Bible illiterate. They know a few basic names or facts, but the abundance of truth and love inside this great text is getting lost. This is why Pastor David feels it's necessary to take some time to work through the Bible in this series, and we're so glad you've joined us here on The Open Word for It. Each time you tune in, Pastor David will be giving you an accurate and succinct dialogue of a book of Scripture, pointing out the key passages and truths that everyone needs to be aware of. If you missed any part of today's message or any part of this series, we encourage you to visit our website. You'll be able to listen again at theopenword.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and please feel free to share these teachings with your friends and family. Everyone can benefit from this Through the Bible series. Are you in the Casa Grande area? If so, Pastor David has an invitation to extend to you.
1: Every message you hear on the open word is one that I shared here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, a great church where I enjoy my role as senior pastor. I'd love to see your face next time I get up to teach, and I'd really enjoy meeting you afterward. Please consider coming on out and joining us this weekend. You'll be able to find all the information you need at theopenword.com. Just click the Calvary Chapel link at the bottom of the page.
0: See you there. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all for today. But join us next time to continue through the Bible here on The Open Word.